Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, a Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew. So I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the majestic Matthew Arbo, the stunning Suzanne Cabral, and the perfect Panic Productions. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Jared and Senda, and today we're going to talk about things we've learned recently about our own personal gaming preferences. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our Get to Know a Gnome question. What is one thing that your past self that was just getting into gaming would be shocked to know about your current gaming self? Senda, I'm going to start with you. Oh, man, I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) So I've been thinking about this. Um, I've been thinking about my first game, which was third into 3-5 D&D, right? And um, I think that... I, I kind of I can't decide between two things. I'm torn, which is why I was like, oh, no, she chose me first. I haven't decided yet. So I'm going <laughs> to tell you both of them because you put me on the spot. That's what you get. That's fair enough. So the first one is that Baby Gamer Senda was super into reading the rule books. Like, <laughs> I'm one of those people who actually read the third edition <laughs> player's handbook from cover to cover. I read all of it. All of it. I actually read all of it, and I spend so much time learning and perfecting and min-maxing all of the rogue everything, (laughs) and then now I'm like, yeah, I kind of glanced through the rules, and like, I'm going to make this interesting decision, even though I know that it could be really difficult for me later. (laughs) So I think that the step, the the first thing that I would tell myself is like, chill. (laughs) You're going to have fun whether you follow the rules or not. Like, relax and let the story happen, right? Like, what are are you here for? And the answer was always the story. It's just that I didn't used to understand how to make story happen without mechanics behind it, right? And I like having mechanics behind my story, but they don't have to be complicated. Like, they can be, but they don't have to be. The second thing that I will say is you should would say to my old self is you should probably look into LARPing. (laughs) (laughs) Why did it take you so long? You were literally hand stitching a red wizard's robe for the guy who was playing the wizard by hand at the table so he could wear it while you stole stuff from his room because you were playing a kinder. Oh my God, girl, you should look into LARPing. Um, (laughs) That part was funny. Cool. I could just see you at the end of the game or like a couple of games later. Oh, here, I took this from you. <laughs> I literally did that. Like his pocket watch was living in my room for like a week. Like, I mean, it was very bad. I would not recommend LARPing a Kender without consent. Um, there are lessons we have learned since then. Don't do it. Um, I still strongly believe that Kender are fun, cool characters that people should play. But I also have a lot of strong opinions about how they should be played in ways that are not shitty to the people around you. Are we allowed to cuss on this one? I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, I get that question so many times when I do interviews. <laughs> I think people always as- ask me on my shows. I think as long as we keep it PG-13, we're okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Jared, what about you? I think uh, my younger self, this would be a toss-up between the fact that my favorite game of last year was a game about emulating Jane Austen stories, and (laughs) that my most anticipated game this year is a game about playing out telenovelas. (laughs) I don't think that I would have... Oh my god, I I love both of them so much, Jared! (laughs) Yeah, I don't think, you know, 
younger me that was stranding people on a, an island with a vampire that they had no chance of killing would have uh, thought that that was where this was heading. <laughs> um, just for our audience's edification, we should probably state which two games those are. Yes, that would be Good Society by Story Brewers and um. Passion de la Passiones. Yes, that was much better coming from Senda. <laughs> I can't spell it, but I hope that I say it okay. You have to say it with conviction, though. I know. Well, in the meantime, I'm currently starting a game of Cartel because <laughs> wow. Passiones. When it comes out, everything with the drama, it's so good. Anyway. <laughs> so, and. <laughs> I think yeah, that, and, that my. And. I think that my baby gamer self would be, I mean, the, the, the obvious answer is that my baby gamer self would be very shocked that I'm actually GMing. Because back then, uh, you know, when I got started in, in late fall of 1986, because I am old, when I got started back then, oh God, you can't, I couldn't be a GM. Ah, uh, that that's 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 too important of a job. That's that's too that's too big of a job. I don't know the rules that well. I couldn't possibly run a game. It would just be awful. Nobody would enjoy that. And like, oh, screw that noise. <laughs> you know, I know story and and I know how to get the spotlight around the table. And you know, really, as long as you've got a a, a decent grasp on the rules or the general mechanics, it's like you can do. And, and even if you don't, run it that first time completely wrong, and then fix it later. It's it's all good. Just do it. It's fine. <laughs> don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's like that's why I started the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. I also had that experience. I just didn't even think about it anymore. <laughs> So getting into our main topic, you know, things have been a bit tumultuous for the world lately, and a lot of us had to adjust to keep gaming in our lives and, you know, go a little extra further or just do a little more to make sure we were keeping gaming in our lives. And I thought it would be fun to chat with a couple of gnomes about things we've learned in recent months about our personal gaming preferences that we've kind of discovered. It doesn't matter if it's as a player or a GM or just a general preference, but what have you learned about yourself recently? And Jared, we're going to start with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're on the spot now. Because I'll go long. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you would think that. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I learned um, that I'm pretty happy with is that I'm running a D&D game that is based, you know, using the Kobold Press uh, Tales of the Old Margrave, which is heavily based on, like, darker fairy tale stories. And I wasn't sure how this was going to play out. Like, I was excited to run it, but I wasn't sure how this was going to play out. And my players decided to have three bear folk and a halfling warlock that used to be taught by Baba Yaga. And this whole group has played this so wholesome and so. Like, very much wide-eyed fairy tale, and I love it so much, because I was kind of expecting, you know, like, maybe they're gonna go, like, you know, the Witcher-type grizzled monster hunter or whatever, and no, this has just been three bear folk and this halfling that's a little bit more worldly than the three wide-eyed bear folk, and her just kind of shaking her head at how earnest all three of them are, <laughs> and it's just been great. And they adopted the first town that they, they showed up in and made it a home base, so they're not 
wandering around the whole Margrave. They're actually living in this one place, and they will find NPC misfits and people that have lost their families or whatever and bring them back to this town. So they've built this community. And I love it. Like, two of them have settled down and gotten married. It's like, this is... It's so great. I mean, I and and I don't know how to construct this. It just kind of grew naturally, and I'm so happy with it. I have a question. Yes. Is the halfling blonde? Can you call them Goldilocks I and know. the Three Bears? <laughs> that was also had also occurred to me, and I didn't say anything. That that was the original plan. We had a player that was actually playing a gold plated um, ear forged. And he left the game. Oh, no. (laughs) He ruined the name. So the joke was that he was a gold-plated gear forged and she was a warlock. So, (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's, 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 that's really cool. And that's, that's one of those things when you kind of stumble in, like a game turns into something you didn't quite expect it to be, but it's more than you hoped for. Yeah. It's my favorite part. (laughs) <laughs> it's the reason that I'm always hunting down new games because I feel like sometimes in my experience when you do something new or different like that and you don't quite know what to expect and you don't come in with a lot of preconceived notions about how things are going to go, then magic, it, it leaves space for the real magic to happen, mm-hmm. right? And to turn into something that just you could never have constructed. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Love it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the the how do you you know like 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 you said this is this is not necessarily what you set out to create, but it's what you needed. It's it's something that's really good now, and it's like how do you how do you kind of nudge things in that direction where you can get the right combo of characters from your players that are gonna make magic in the world you're 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 laying out for them. And I I almost think in this case it's the opposite. It's that. You need to let it develop and not try and fit it into a mold. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of let the the natural dynamics happen. Right. And not try and say, well, I wanted you to be serious monster hunters. How dare you make these kind of silly characters? Because it's like, oh my gosh, no, this is so much more endearing. Yeah. And it is so, it's so much more of a stark contrast because there's kind of this, this uh, dichotomy between like dealing with fey creatures and then all of a sudden like cosmic horror things will show up in the campaign and seeing those same characters that were just dealing with evil fairies and trying to negotiate you know being polite so they can walk across their territory and then all of a sudden having like one of the uh lovecraftian tentacled things just like drop out of the forest is a great change to see these characters react to that (laughs) what kind of things have you learned about your preferences I have always disliked sandboxes. I've I've never had a really good time in a sandbox style game. I feel like my character doesn't really matter that it's not, you know, like the cuz the whole general idea of a sandbox is like you can go wherever and do whatever and you know stuff is happening all over the place. And I've always felt like yeah, but I'm here for you know, I'm here for my character to be the main, you know, one of the main characters of this story. And in a lot of sandboxes, I never get that that feeling. But then I decided recently that I wanted to run Savage Worlds East Texas University campaign for my group. And I, you know, there's a whole bunch of material out there. There's a lot of like one page adventures for ETU 
there's a there's a what they call a plot point campaign where they basically give you here are some major events that you can have happen in your campaign to basically string everything together. And I figure, oh, this is this is a good framework. I'll use this. So I have the initial inciting incident in the opening session where all the characters, they're freshmen at East Texas University. They meet at the uh, the freshman orientation. On the Saturday night of the freshman orientation weekend, they have a dance with pizza, a pizza party dance thing at the Roost, which is the basketball stadium. And somebody is trying to set the whole building on fire with magic to sacrifice the entire incoming freshman class, and they have to stop it. And so I did all this, and then when I was setting up stuff for the next stuff, I'm like, well, I don't know where they're going to do or what they're going to want to do. So, oh, I like this little plot line. I like this little plot line. I like this little plot line. And I realized what I was doing was I was setting up a small contained sandbox. <laughs> it was, you know, I've got them. They're on campus. They can explore what they want. They can do what they want. But I've got these little bits and I'm not, I'm not overloading it with too many storylines at once. You know, I initially set up four different mysteries they could stumble into and solve. And it's it's working really well. And I'm realizing that, okay, maybe maybe it's not the sandbox concept I had a problem with. It was the implementation of the sandbox that I had a problem with, which I thought was kind of like, huh, I, I actually like this whole thing. Do you think it makes a difference to have like more boundaries around where the sandbox is? Because for me, I, I really I find a lot of times when people say sandbox, they're like, you could do anything in the whole world. I'm like, that is completely overwhelming. Yes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Because like I said, the problem I have with most sa- I, I've had with sandboxes is like, I feel like my character is superfluous to the overarching story of this world. And I'm not right. asking for my character to be like the savior, the chosen one to save the world from unending evil or whatever. No, no, no. But if if I'm, you know, if I'm reading a story, I want this character to be an important part of that story, to be a main character in that story. In a lot of sandbox games, it's like, because you could go anywhere and do anything, well, the actual plot line of the novel is happening over there, away from what your character is doing. And like that, that never, that felt very dissatisfying to me. Like, well, you just made the wrong choice and didn't go towards the plot that was important. Right. And how would you have known? Yeah. How would you have known? <laughs> so so what you're saying is, is you don't want to be the um, point of view character that gets introduced in like the fourth book that George R. R. Martin writes. There's, there's never <laughs> in any of the other books so far. <laughs> Although those type of characters you could look at as, well, we needed a new player in the game. So just merge someone in. Yeah. Like you've been doing your own thing elsewhere. But in in, (laughs) with this case, it's like it's obvious the the characters, my PC's character, my player's characters are they're the central focus to the, the story. But the actual what they get involved with, it's all important. But it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, oh, well, you didn't actually deal with this world shattering event that was happening over here. So we're going to just unexpectedly drop demons on you in a couple of weeks, you know. Yeah, it's interesting to me because when I do things that run a little bit more like a sandbox, what usually sort of happens is that all of the other plot lines 
stay in some sort of partial stasis in mm-hmm. many ways. Like they just they they might move based on character actions, but like not quickly. Right. right. So that the spotlight can just follow the players around when they get to everything. Right. But, you know, and it and it might it like the order they do them in might change things or things from from one thing could affect another thing that was happening. But it's like I'm not gonna let any of those complete Right. Yeah. And it's without like the- them it, it it's one thing if you present like if your players come across a thing and you kind of emphasize this is this is dangerous this is a ticking time bomb and then they ignore sure, yeah. it that's different. oh that's different that's yeah different. And then they know about it yeah if they yeah. don't know about it you don't get to put like that you gotta you gotta give them some hints that there's a thing or I mean the other interesting thing about that is that like if I put three different paths out in front of players and they choose one that I thought was gonna be a side plot fine. That's now the main plot. The other ones are still going to maybe happen, but like that's now the main plot because they're involved with it and they're the main characters, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. Interesting thoughts. I'm I'm, I'm now thinking about it in ways I haven't thought about it before. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool, (laughs) Ange. The last time I tried to run a sandbox was in Star Wars and I had Inquisitors that were not completely dedicated to the dark side and I had this all set up where they might run into these rebels and get converted to the cause or they might double down and become, you know, dark siders and force out these light side, you know, holdouts here, or they might root out this corruption where there is the Imperial governor that was actually working against the Empire. And they literally took the path of least resistance, found a military contractor that was like on the take, and just sat there on the take not doing anything. (laughs) It's like, well, (laughs) guess the campaign's over, and we know what all of your characters were interested in. (laughs) Path of least resistance. I got it. (laughs) Yeah, I I have a a friend who ran a sandbox-style Pathfinder game, and he was just so frustrated because his players made these very mundane, quaint characters that were interested in baking and getting, you know, exploring, like, farms and like you know these very mundane things and he's just like but plot but plot adventure world world (laughs) world shattering events are over here and they're just they're just like oh i want to find out what the what the what the 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 the, the regional flavor of tea in this region is you know just these very mundane little things and he's just like but but (laughs) plot and i'm like you know and that's a that's a that's a not recognizing what your players are actually interested in, mm-hmm. you know? So, so I was going to say, Ange, would you say that the reason that this sandbox seems to be working better than other sandboxes is because the players are engaging with it differently? Yes. Yeah. It, it's the, the, the players are, they all have their own little interests. Uh, well, the only, the only issue I've run into is one of the players keeps doing things that would require a research role and he did not actually take the research skill (laughs) so he's constantly getting frustrated and i'm like i'm sorry but what you are doing what you're describing you went to the library to look things up that's research make a research role and we finally we finally worked it out that his character is super smart but he was one of those kids that just breezed through high school so he ah. never actually had to learn how to research. And so, like, he's <laughs> smart. He can figure things out. But he doesn't actually know how to find the information he wants. So it's like, you know, so we're, we're, we're working on things. But, yeah, it's like each of the players is engaging in the plot and in the world in interesting ways that that 
make it feel personal to those characters. I think there is a thing that um, I, this is another thing that I'm learning. I'm sorry. I don't need to jump in here, but. Jeez, no, think, no, go for it. <laughs> no, I think a lot of the weight that we put on ourselves about campaigns not working, GMs, people that have GM'd a lot, put that weight on themselves. Like, I, I don't know why I couldn't get this to work. And it's not that you couldn't get it to work. It's that everybody has to work together to get it to work. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the thing I ran before this was a very short Knights Black Agents campaign. And I, as the GM, was not happy with how it turned out. And that was mostly because I think it wasn't like I was blaming myself. Oh, you're horrible. You didn't do a good job, Ange. It was more just, <laughs> one, I didn't connect with their characters. And two, I'm not as comfortable in that genre, you know, in that world of high espionage and intrigue. I'm not as comfortable in that world. So it was harder for me to just relax and roll with it. And I also didn't engage with their characters as much. Whereas in this game, I can do teenage college stuff all day long, not even playing. It's the best. Yeah, it's it's just like, I got this one. You know, and I love creating the NPCs they have around them and all of that. But anyway, it's like, yeah, it's like, it it has to be, you know, everything, like, like, well, and like, bringing it back to your thing, Jared, it's like, you have to have the right combo of Mm -hmm. the players and the GM all hitting their groove kind of together. Yeah. Yeah. So let's bring it to Senda. What have you learned, Senda? What's your Um, groove, Senda? My my groove. (laughs) So this is really interesting because I did bring it up at the very, very beginning of the show, right? Where so the first game that I ever played, I was super into like I made people outfits and I was like drawing pictures and like making things and being really tactile about it. And it's something that I continued to be into like for a while and then kind of fell out of a little bit, especially when all of my gaming went online, which it did significantly before the pandemic started. It all actually pretty much moved online before I even took my accidental like I had a child game break, right? Like, um, so <laughs> it makes it sound like, oops, child. Oops, child. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't know the child meant no gaming, right? But it did. I mean, you'd think I might have anticipated that, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> so, but all my gaming was online for quite a while, probably for at least the not, I mean, not totally exclusively, but like the vast majority of my gaming was online probably for like the last seven years, even before she's a super geek and stuff, right? And the thing that you lose in doing online gaming is physical, tactile mm-hmm. game artifact stuff, right? And it didn't really bother me a lot like i was like whatever it's fine <laughs> for a long time but um one of the things that my group has been doing in pandemic land because um we had a play by post it didn't really work out because we were kind of all engaging with it at different paces and that that's harder to manage than we had anticipated <laughs> like we're used to sitting down together all at the same time all engaged at the same amount and then engaging with a game and then we were like, oh, it'll be fine. We'll do a play-by-post. And then we were like, oh, the, it didn't actually work like that. Because, you know, some of us are working from home. Some of us aren't. Some of us have time. Some of us don't. Like, it was, it, it got weird. So we were like, okay, never mind. Scratch that. And then the thing that we came up with next to kind of keep things ongoing. I mean, we're still meeting every other week to, to play games. That's where I'm going to play Cartel. So excited for Cartel. <laughs> just to be clear. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's gonna be good. Um, <laughs> The relationship chart is like a giant spider web of mess. And I love that <laughs> so much. But so the other thing that we did is we started uh, a letter writing game. And it basically has no rules because this is my game group that we're talking about. And we frequently run with no rules. And that's fine. Or with extremely light rules. <laughs> or we're like, we want a game that does this. Why don't we just real quick, we'll sketch out some scene structure and go. You have a very light social contract and everybody works to, like, like, I've heard of this group. This group is, sounds wonderful. <laughs> it's like, it's like they just, they just all convene in a space and it's like game happens. I'm very, very, I can't tell you how lucky I feel to play with these people consistently. <laughs> it is like magic. And that thing that we were just talking about with Jared and with you, and where like the thing is that that key moment where like the people all click and you're all on the same page to make something happen together, that is like it happens every time, right? Like GMing mm -hmm. for these people is like, oh, I'm going to wind this up and I'm going to lean back for 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, cool. Let me just poke it. Like it's <laughs> amazing. It's fantastic. So anyway. So we've been playing lots of online games. We're going to play a, a campaign of Cartel next. But um, the thing that we've been doing to, to like tie everything through is that we started a letter writing game. There are plenty of letter writing games out there, epistolatory games, that do actually have rules and or mechanics. So if you would like to engage in something and you want a little bit more framework, like they're out there. I published a couple lists of them on Gnome Stew. Like check them out. They're really cool. Right. But we'll link this in the one show has notes. nothing. <laughs> yeah, this one has nothing. So we just decided that we're going to do sort of an urban fantasy thing. And we are all various monsters slash magical beings who were all supposed to attend MonCon 2020. But of course, it was canceled due to the pandemic. So now we're doing pen pals instead, which is great. But the thing about it that's really cool and the thing that I've learned from doing having this experience is I'm suddenly generating physical game artifacts again, right? Like. I am writing a physical letter with my hand. I'm not even typing it and printing it. I am writing these letters by hand because of the way that my character works. I am folding them up. I am putting them in the mail. I am putting cool things in the envelope with them. <laughs> I am sending them off. And the, the funny thing is, so I'm like generating game artifacts and then I don't even get to keep the game artifacts. They're going to someone else who then has it. But I'm receiving in response these other game artifacts that I get to keep and they're mine, right? It's really cool. So the thing that I've learned from this, the moral of this story, is that physical game artifacts are cool. And um, <laughs> engaging with them in ways that both like create story and also give you the means to engage is fun and neat. And this is the part where now I'm going to tell you, I was so excited about physical artifacts again that I did the letter writing equivalent of like when you first start playing D&D &D and you're like, oh, dice, right? And minis, right? Okay, no. <laughs> I designed my own stationery and I got it printed so that it is in character. And then I now have two wax seals, two different wax seals, both of which that match the stationery. And then I bought wax and then I, um, okay, so the other part about this is that I'm playing a cat. I am a cat witch. Um, I'm on my fifth life. I've been around since ancient Egypt, but I have a human familiar with opposable thumbs. She does the writing. She's in middle school. So her handwriting is very specific. <laughs> um, that's why this got fun, right? So I have to write my letters by hand. It's important so I can get the hearts over all the eyes. Um, <laughs> 
But so, and then I went and got a stamp, and it's a paw print stamp, um, so that I can sign my letters with a little paw print. Like, so this has been so much fun because I'm basically designing how people experience my character through the tactile artifacts of the game that I am sending to them, which is so cool. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I learned. I learned that I'm still really into physical game artifacts, which was a thing that I had kind of lost track of for a long period of time. I was like, it's fine. Everything's digital. Like I have digital portraits of my characters, blah, 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 pictures, whatever. But like digital, like it, there's something about physical game artifacts that is just really cool and tactile and I want to re-involve them in my life more. You know, and I, 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 I totally get that because like I've in the past done handouts for games that are like, you know, like this is an in-world right. thing. And, you know, and I well, I don't get as fully into minis and terrain as some people. I still enjoy bringing that to the table. And I've been able to, to do a little bit of it in Roll20, you know, setting things up. But, you know, like, so after the, the initial game I ran for ETU, I actually put together the front page of the student newspaper. Uh, yes. The Ravens Report, which basically had like a little side article on the vandalism that happened at the <laughs> the roost. And, you know, if anyone has any information on these vandals, please report it to the campus security. And then two other articles that have like one is just about the football team because it's Texas. And then the other was like a seed for another adventure and all of this. But it was like, you know, I put this together and I'm like, but I can't print it out. I, all the best I can do is send a PDF to the players. And I mean, that, 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 which that, is still cool. It's still yeah. cool. You know, it's still fun to do that, but it's also like, there's, there is a little bit of that. I miss some of the, the, the tactile. I miss that. And more than that, I should say, even because like, even though a lot of my games went virtual and then, but for like the last four or five years, I've had this same group, right? And we play in person consistently, but we also play highly improvised games. And so when you are playing something highly improvised, it's very difficult to have, like, to prepare to right. know what you could possibly yeah. need because <laughs> we're playing Tales from the Loop and my character ends up on the moon. Like, you know, <laughs> how do you anticipate and plan for this? I mean, you just can't. Right. It's just not possible. So so that's the other part is like this is really interesting to me because there's a lot of improv happening, but the game artifacts are happening up front instead of mid game. And because they're happening up front, they're part of that initial improv seed that I'm sending out instead of trying to like have something later mm -hmm. on into it to make it happen. Although hilariously, we've also been doing newsletters because one of the things that we're doing is like there's an evolution in the world, like something changes between each set of letters mm -hmm. that we can then write about. And so like we've been making like newspaper articles about what happened, <laughs> which is great. There's an infestation of murder scarabs. <laughs> As there is, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's 2020. I'm not going to I'm not going to judge. Exactly. Humans haven't noticed because they just eat magic. So, you know, <laughs> it's fine. Well, it's it's funny because some of my desire for a, you know, like some kind of physical artifact has been somewhat supplemented because I have my rocket books now, which I love, 
But what I'll do a lot of times is I'll take notes, and I will take notes in different colors, and I'm not a great artist, but I will put, like, um, I was in a Call of Cthulhu game at a convention a while back, and I did, like, this blue candle that, you know, came up in the thing, and I'll draw that in the corner. And I find, like, having those personalized notes and being able to save those, even though it's not physical, the handwriting is more personal than if it's just all typed out things. So I've been, every once in a while, I'll just, like, open up my folder where I have all of my saved notes and go, oh. <laughs> no. I think that's amazing. For me, though, <laughs> the problem is that my handwriting has gotten so bad that I can't read my handwriting. So for, for me, the problem has become that because these games are really heavily improv, I'm just sitting there at the table, like wide eyed, like super invested <laughs> and completely engaged. And then I look at my notes later and they say like, <laughs> there's like five words. And I'm like, I, that doesn't help. <laughs> like I don't know. Goblin likes ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Um, fortunately, I sit at the table with Wen, and he sits there. And he, one of the things that he tends to write down is the best lines. He doesn't write down all of the notes, but if he just something jumps out at him, he'll write it down. And then, like two years later, we'll be like, "No, I remember this game." And he'll flip through and he'll just start quoting these things at us that were so funny, right? Like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> We ha I'm sorry, it just reminded me of one of the things that I, I miss about gaming at the uh, FLGS is that one of the game tables has a big whiteboard behind it. Yeah. And every so often we would just write something that was said during the game on the board. And the fun part is coming in the next day and seeing another group walk over to that board and try and piece together <laughs> what happened. What is that? <laughs> yes. I've done that to myself in my Facebook memories because occasionally I would like somebody would say something in game and I would just out of context quote it on Facebook and it's out there. And then five years later, I'm like, I have no idea what no we were doing then. <laughs> That's hilarious, but I have no idea what that game was. I'm very sure that there's at least at least 15 or 20 of those in my Twitter at random. <laughs> well, we should probably start wrapping things up. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by the new you. The older you get, the worse your memory gets. So you can constantly be learning <laughs> new things that the new you adores. Embrace the evolution! If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Uh, join on down with D&D. Join the Mad Wizard, Sean Merwin, and friends as they dish about everything D&D with a focus on the brand and newest edition of the world's most popular tabletop RPG. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Gnomes, where else can we find you on the internet? Jared, go! All right. Hey, since the last time I was on the Gnomecast, I actually migrated my blog to a new place. So what? you can find my blog at whatdoiknowjr.com, and my Twitter handle is now at whatdoiknowjr. Excellent. Senda, go! Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Idella Mithland. It's I-D-E-L-L-A-M-I-T-H-L-Y-N-N-D. -I, I love that Anne just mouthing these letters with me. <laughs> it's the best. And you can find me on my other podcast, She's a Super Geek and Pandas Talking Games. And um, is that it? I think that's everything. I think that's all the things. Because this is Gnome Stew, which is the other thing I usually have to stay. Yeah, Good. Yeah. Hey, Ant, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S-13. Although I will warn you, 
Twitter's kind of dead because I'm not doing cons, so there's no table selfies, which makes me really sad. <laughs> and Instagram mm. is mostly pictures of my cats. Fair enough. <laughs> so, do you guys think we learned enough in the last few months to avoid becoming part of the stew? I learned that there is a secret door in the bottom of the stew pot. <laughs> That's a thing, apparently, I've been hearing about. I, I subscribed to uh, Anne's new product and forgot that there was a stew pot to begin with. <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Personal gaming prefer... Pre- ah!